Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. And I'm Ty Kersley. Tonight on Radio Gag, we are live with our Mythbusters special. We will bust those old, tired myths the NRA and the GOP keep using to keep their base buying more guns. Spoiler alert, guns do not make you safer. To reach the studio, call 212-209-2877. Robert DeDominic will give us a news story for our gun violence prevention news. And today is National Coming Out Day. Every town for gun safety released a report highlighting the impact of gun violence on LGBTQ plus communities. But first, our in memoriam honors Dr. Thomas Mexner of Tucson, Arizona. In remembrance of Thomas Meisner, 52 years old, October 5th, 2022, in Tucson, Arizona. Dr. Thomas Meisner, department head and professor of hydrology and atmospheric sciences, was shot to death on the University of Arizona campus. Meisner once described his work as making the world better through biochemistry. His family and friends say he was trying to save the world's most precious resource, water. Meissner got his Ph.D. in hydrology and water resources at the University of Arizona in 1999. He has been an associate professor or professor at UA since 2005. Meissner's family released a statement. Thomas Meisner was an incredible son, brother, husband, father, uncle, colleague, and friend. He loved his family, friends, co-workers, the University of Arizona, and the greater Tucson community. He always focused on helping others in all he did. The loss of Tom has left a giant emptiness in our hearts. He was passionate about hydrology, and one of the last acts he performed on this earth was to teach a class. Loved ones and friends, like Sheila McFarlane, shared with reporters that the loss of Meisner to their community is also a huge loss for Arizona. We're at a crisis, a water crisis in Arizona right now with the Colorado River, and Tom has been dealing with the issues of water quantity and quality for a long time. For McFarlane, Professor Meissner was more than a colleague. He was a friend. It was a pleasure to be around Tom always. No one can believe that in a moment life is snuffed out, and especially not one of the good guys, she added. She and Meissner were both part of the Cienega Watership Partnership, a nonprofit that helps preserve the watershed's landscapes and natural and cultural resources. According to authorities, the shooter, a former graduate student, was recognized before the shooting and someone called 911 to report his presence in the building. The former student was barred from campus after having been expelled in February because of previous threatening behavior. He was also the subject of an unrelated order of protection prohibiting him from possessing a firearm. Thomas Meisner, we remember you. 
okay. So you're not safe if you're a teacher on campus, despite all of the laws that we have. But we do thank uh, Dr. Thomas Meisner for all of his work, and we remember his life and the way that he lived, much more important than the way he died. Next up, uh, we're going to have Robert DeDominic with a GVP news story. This is Robert D. Dominic reporting for Gag Radio. Las Vegas hero dies of suicide. His parents hoped to find the people he saved. The story originally appeared in People magazine. Another truly heartbreaking story illustrating the lasting effects mass shootings have on those that survived. Seattle resident, 27-year-old Scott Peterson, was in Las Vegas for a concert on October 1st, 2017. That concert turned into a massacre when an unhinged psycho, whose name we will not say on air, opened fire from his hotel room, killing 59 people in the worst mass shooting this country has ever seen. Peterson, an EMT and firefighter, got his family safe and sprung into action. He said, I started wrapping a guy up and another guy came up and was shot in the back and I started wrapping him. Two seconds later, a guy comes in with a shoulder wound. Another five seconds, a lady comes in with a neck wound. It didn't stop, Peterson said. He continued to help until the ambulance was full and there were no supplies left. Peterson likely saved a dozen people. However, he could not save himself. And on January 18th, 2021, at the age of 31, Peterson took his own life. Five years after the massacre, his parents are now searching for the people their son saved. We have to find all the good that Scotty brought to this world because it was such a traumatic and dark ending to his life and we're left with that. If there was a life that he saved, that's a bright spot, his mom said. A Facebook post created to find those he helped reads, We are looking for any survivors who have been handled by our son who commandeered an ambulance. Through that point, handled many gunshot victims who needed assistance. The post describes a 6'1", 200-pound man wearing a Hawaiian shirt with green leaves and pink flowers and his distinct sleeve tattoo on his right arm. Peterson himself never looked at the photos of those killed, afraid that he would see someone he tried to save. His parents begged him to get assistance and did not realize how truly tortured their son felt for surviving. We may never know the true death toll of mass shootings like this one because of the lingering health effects survivors deal with. Scott and Michelle Peterson have started a scholarship fund set up for the education of an aspiring first responder. They fund the scholarship themselves but accept help at GoFundMe. This is Robert D. Dominic reporting for Radio Gag. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gaze Against Gun Show. Here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI, thanks for listening at this special time. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30 bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. If you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And we are looking forward to a call-in from our MythBuster, Poe Murray of 
the Newtown Action Alliance. Poe, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, great. Yeah. This works. This is Ty. How are you doing, Poe? <laughs> Good, Ty. Well, we want you to start off this special um, and help us really bust some of the myths that people cling to uh, to kind of, I think, what keeps them from acting on supporting any kind of gun violence prevention law or sometimes voting for people um, wrong because of these myths. Uh, The first one um, that you hear is that we can't have an assault weapons ban. We would like to. Yeah. We would like to believe that we can. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. Um, well, first of all, the assault weapons ban was passed once before in 1994 under um, President um, uh, Clinton. <clears throat> my gosh, it's like Bill Clinton, and <laughs> with the help of um, you know the current um, president Joe Biden. Um, but unfortunately, when um, President Bush was elected, um, he let that uh, ban expire uh, 10 years later. So we haven't had an assault weapons ban since 2004, and mass shootings um, rose significantly since then. But we can pass an assault weapons ban. Uh, we have a president uh, who is willing to sign an assault weapons ban into law, um, and on July 29th, the House of Representatives passed the Assault Weapons Ban of 2019. Um, so that bill is ready to go. Um, we are now working on encouraging the Senate to pass the bill. Currently, we have 37 co-sponsors plus the sponsor, Senator Dianne Feinstein. So we have 38 positive votes for the, uh, for the ban. And we believe many of the Democrats will support the bill if it came up for a vote. Um, so we're hoping that during midterms um, we'll be able to keep the House and elect more senators who support the assault weapons ban. Um, someone like John Kettleman um, and Tim Ryan. Um, and we can end the filibuster and, and pass the ban along with many of the other life-saving gun laws, like the universal background checks, Ethan's law to keep kids safe from unsecured guns, um, and many other legislative proposals that haven't been already passed in the House of Representatives. Oh, we admire you so much for the work that you've been doing, and it really is exciting that uh, we have lobbyists like you to work so hard on our behalf to reduce gun deaths and injuries. So we thank you. Uh, do you have another myth uh, that you would like to bust for us, or can I suggest one? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, another myth is that the Second Amendment is absolute, and it gives an individual right to carry any guns anywhere and everywhere, and that's just simply not true. Um, the Second Amendment was, you know, gave the uh, militia a right to carry guns, and it was not an individual right until the Heller decision. And then recently, activist judges, our justices on the Supreme Court, expanded it, you know, that... Um, that law. So, um, you know, we believe that um, there have been many legislative proposals that have been passed in, passed in the past, um, like 
planning um, automatic machine guns. Um, they ban the future sales, and then the existing ones were grandfathered, but they had to be registered, and it was heavily controlled under the, under the IRS. So, so it's, it's constitutionally acceptable for us to pass gun control laws to keep Americans safe. Absolutely. And we can hold the industry responsible, and geez, it's just a jillion things. So I'm glad we have a chance to talk about that today. Uh, we wondered what you had to say about this myth. The U.S. is the safest country in the world. <laughs> Far from it, actually. Um, we're the most unsafe country. Um, it's compared to um, other nations, you know, with similar wealth. Uh, we, uh, ha- last year there were 45,000 gun deaths, which is more than, um, what other nations, um, have. In fact, in some of the Asian nations like South Korea and Japan, they have little to no gun deaths or injuries in their nation because they have very strong gun control laws. Um, so America is not safe. We have 400 million guns. And those guns have not kept us safer. So the NRA and NSSF and other gun lobby argument that more guns would make us safer is not true. Where there are more guns, there are more gun gun deaths. And in fact, many studies show that having a gun in the home will double our risk of gun homicides and triple the risk of gun suicide. Great. Oh, congratulations on your anniversary. There's a lot of uh, October wedding anniversaries around here, including mine. So uh, we're just really happy to congratulate you and to have you you. call in today. Thank you so much. Um, What can people do to support the Newtown Action Alliance? Well, you can go to our website, www.newtownaction.org, and there are so many different campaigns that um, your listeners can participate in by signing petitions or um, efforts to call Congress um, to urge them to take action. Right now, we have been strongly advocating for the Senate to pass the assault weapons ban, Ethan's law, background checks. Um, so there's a lot of information there. But most importantly, we are four weeks out midterm elections, and we need everybody and their family members and their friends who are supportive of gun safety measures to get out there and vote for gun safety candidates. Great, great. Well, we will be pushing this message over and over again, and that's why we're doing this show, because uh, you're going to need some talking points. So, and you being the listeners out there, uh, Sarah, Ty, Poe, we know some of this, but we're sharing it with you because we want you to talk to your family members. We want you to talk to young people. We want you to talk to people who might be voting or might not be voting and get them out there. So thanks so much for joining us today, Poe. One of those myths could be that a person feels they can't do anything about gun violence. So as you mentioned, voting uh, is key. We always push that. But there are other things that people can do along with uh, voting for gun safety laws, but also you know, cleaning up their local area, um, making donations. 
I would think that you could ask friends of yours, what are your skills? Because uh, you can make calls, as we do um, often in this um, gun violence prevention world, but also talking to your family members as holidays roll around about gun violence, how the increase uh, of death and suicide um, is a pa- is an absolute horror in this nation, and how we have gotten to this point where we finally are discussing it on a national level, but before it gets um, too late, there has to be conversations had within your family and your friends to bust the myths that people are clinging to to get more people on our side. Yeah. Do you have a favorite there, Poe? Are you still with us? Yes, I'm still with you. Yeah. So uh, people are going to support Newtown Action Alliance. And anything else that's a particular, well, voting, any other particular favorites that people can do? Yeah, well, I think think it's really important for um, us to support the survivors um, from gun violence. For example, recently the Uvalde families um, have been asking for accountability um, from their um, school district uh, in regards to the, you know, the police officers in action um, during the Uvalde shooting. So it would be great um, if your listeners could follow some of those survivors like Brett Cross and support them in their effort to um, seek accountability and support their efforts. We've always believed that the survivors should be front and center in fighting this um, issue. And um, in December, we'll be holding the National Vigil for All Victims of Gun Violence and nationwide vigils uh, where our partners um, will hold local events across the country. So it would be great to have everyone show up and support the survivors to keep this issue front and center. What was the statistic you uh, gave, Poe? How many people have been... The the National Vigil started because of Sandy Hook, and that's going to be 10 years in December. Uh, how many people, verify with me, how many people will be sh- have been shot in this country in the last 10 years? Um, over 1 million people have been shot since the Sandy Hook shooting, um, and 350,000 of them have been killed by guns, um, by... Uh, suicides and homicides and other type of shootings. So it's a, a public health, public safety crisis in this nation, and that's one of the reasons why we have been also urging President Biden to establish an Office of Gun Violence Prevention and appointing um, a high-level person to um, work on this issue as a director 100% of the time. Um, after After 9-11, the government established the Department of Homeland Security and the TSA to address, um, you know, foreign terrorism. And with gun violence, in many cases, it's a domestic terrorist act. We haven't addressed it in the same way. So we really want um, the federal government and the president to take it really seriously and do everything they can you know, to stop these um, gun violence incidents all across our country. Yeah, just like California did. We could have a national office of gun violence prevention. Yeah, let's go for it. Well, thanks again, Poe. We appreciate it. We um, we will definitely see you in December uh, and D.C., but we will uh, speak again soon. So yeah. Thanks okay. for so much Great. for calling Thanks. in. 
Have a great evening. Thanks so much for having me. Good night. Good night. Wow. She is a super, superhero. Now, uh, we got our legislators moving. And today, Mayor Adams signed gun safety legislation into law. So did you see this? Times Square. Right. We've been... um, It was... There was a reaction to us having gun-free zones in the city. And finally today, Mayor Adams signed uh, legislation to make it a city law. Um, There's actually a clip for Mayor Adams um, as he announces both of these uh, new laws for New York City. The decision to overturn New York State's long-standing gun licensing requirements uh, really impacted uh, our city and state. It took aim at the safety of New Yorkers and opened another river uh, that we have to dam. And these, these two bills are going to assist us in damming those rivers. The decision came down less than six weeks. The Supreme Court decision came down less than six weeks after 10 New Yorkers were shot and killed in a Buffalo supermarket. Uh, It made a mockery of our justice system, made a mockery of our ability to keep New Yorkers safe. Gun violence is a national nightmare, not a local nightmare, but a national nightmare. The gun industry uh, generates over $9 billion in revenue, yet it costs everyday Americans $557 billion in revenue because of the negative fallout from gun violence. It's not a big city problem. It's an American problem, and we're going to continue to partner with our municipalities all over the country so we can come together with information sharing and address this real crisis we we are facing. Millions of tourists flock here every 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 uh, year. Uh, we are projected to receive 56 million tourists uh, in this city. Many of them come through Times Square. It has become a signature of this city, and we want to make sure that they're safe. We're not going to live in fear, and we're going to make sure we create an environment where those who visit this city, such as Times Square, uh, won't have to be paralyzed with the fear of knowing that someone is carrying in a gun in this area. Today we enshrine in law that Times Square is a gun-free zone. Licensed gun carriers and others may not enter this area with a gun unless otherwise specifically authorized by law. But we're not stopping here just to deal with this area. We are fighting back against illegal guns coming into our city and prosecuting those who carry illegal guns. A major focus on our part, and we're happy to see D.A. Bragg here with us. The New York City Police Department removed over 5,000 illegal guns uh, off our streets. They are continuing to do the job every night, battling against the iron pipeline that's feeding guns here in our city, many coming from the southern part of our country, and that is having an endless flow of guns in New York and other cities across America. And so I want to thank the city council again, Speaker Adrian Adams, Councilmember Abrua, Councilmember Powers, and all who have come together to mobilize to get rid of our common threat, and that is illegal guns and those legal guns that can be made harmful and dangerous due to the Supreme Court decision. 
You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, here on listener-sponsored commercial-free radio, WBAI. Thanks for listening to our special at this time. We are here every Tuesday at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. And if you miss a show, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. And you can support Radio Gag by becoming a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And really, folks, just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on the air here at BAI to bring you this live show every week. Go to WBAI.org. Go to give, numeral 2, WBAI.org, or call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. And become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. And when you do that tonight, when you go to your phone right now, because I want to shout out here a couple of people, a couple of friends of mine have been telling me they've been listening to the show and really enjoying it. So if you enjoy the show, make a contribution. Small contribution monthly is going to keep us on the air, and it's really going to help fight the gun violence prevention battle as well because we get the information out. We give you talking points uh, when you're talking to your friends. Uh, we give you events and activities that you can take part in. So, again, you're going to go to give to WBAI.org. You're going to call 212-209-2950. And tonight, when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag, we will send you a thank you gift. We're going to tell you about that later. Wendy Jones has some books for you. So uh, we'll talk about that later on in the show. And thank you for becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. One of the other myths we have, Sarah, is um, especially with domestic violence and intimate partner violence, that if someone is abusive, um, there there's no difference. The myth saying there's no difference between if a person has a gun or not, they're still going to hurt the individual in their relationship. Um, your chances of death from abuse and those kind of relationships increases. Right, right, right. And it's so sad. I, I got to tell you, um, sadly, my brother took his own life, and that was three decades ago. And it's, of course, it's still with me. Um, and uh, I got to tell you that uh, my brother was mentally ill and had a long history with depression. Uh, but as a young person growing up with him and seeing my family, how it affected my family, my mom was convinced that it was not inevitable that he would take his life eventually. And each time he made an attempt, she was there for him 100%. And we had many, many more years that we got to have him in our lives because he never tried to use a gun. So here we go. Let's bust this myth. Suicide is inevitable. If the victim doesn't have a gun, they will find another way. And we have a clip now from 
son. She is going to tell us, uh, she's going to bust this myth about the inevitability of suicide. Hi, my name is Sunny Moon, and I am a member of Gays Against Guns. I'm also a retired physician who used to practice internal medicine, and I trained in New Orleans where there's a lot of gun violence. What I'd like to talk to you about today are some facts about suicide by gun, and, and more particularly, I want to make sure that everybody understands that suicide by guns is a public health crisis, and it's preventable. So let's start with some facts. The last time the CDC reported on gun-related suicides was in 2017. Total gun fatalities were close to 40,000, and about 60% are actually suicides. So suicides make up the vast majority of gun deaths in the United States. But it's not equally distributed. The tragedy of gun violence and suicide is not spread randomly. Study after study have shown that states and areas where there's high gun ownership have much higher rates of gun-related suicide. And the interesting part of this is that suicide rates from other methods is not any different from these states. So there isn't something different in terms of people being more depressed. What's different are the people who are successful in killing themselves with guns. Now, a question you might ask is, is there something different about gun owners? Are gun owners more prone to suicide? And again, we have studies that have shown that gun owners are not any more prone to mental illness and they're not any more prone to suicide. And in fact, one study found that gun owners actually reported less suicidal ideation than non-gun owners. However, if they have the thought of committing suicide, they have access to a lethal method, and so they're successful. How lethal are guns? Guns are the most lethal method. It's close to 90%. One of the most common myths that I want to address is, why do we even bother learning about suicide or talking about suicide in healthcare? Because it's inevitable. If somebody's going to kill themselves, they're just going to do it. If we take away their gun, they're going to find some other way of committing suicide. And that is one of the biggest fallacies that we really, really need to make sure that we address. How do we know that impulsivity is a factor? A lot of times people will tell you after they make an attempt, how long did you think about suicide before you went ahead and did it? And it turns out that um, when you ask people how long they thought about suicide and then actually attempted, 24% said that they had thought about it for less than five minutes. 48% said less than 20 minutes, and 70% said less than an hour. So if somebody is doing something that is a fleeting, impulsive act, having a very lethal method makes that fleeting impulse become a permanent, terrible conclusion to something that could have been addressed. Now, the final part of this, why am I talking about this? We have to address it as a public health crisis, and I've just laid out the facts as to how we can make <laughs> interventions. We need reasonable laws to address a public health issue. And so I want to talk about some of these laws that actually make a difference. And one law that I want to talk about in particular, it's commonly called a red flag law, or ERPO, or Extreme Risk Protective Order. And ever since the tragic Parkland shooting, more and more states have passed red flag laws. And that means that if somebody is deemed to be a danger to others or to themselves, there's a legal process in place to remove the guns from that person. And studies have already shown in states that have had ERPA laws, there is a reduction in gun-related suicides. And other laws, such as universal background checks, open carry laws, decrease the accessibility. So just by decreasing mm -hmm. the floodgates and there's less access, we can reduce suicide. So thank you so much, Sun Moon, for giving us that um, 
busting that myth. Thank you. We really appreciate the work that you're doing with Moms Demand Action and with Gays Against Guns. So thanks a lot for calling in and clearing that up for us. We also, whenever we talk about suicide, whenever we talk about domestic violence, and we're going to talk, excuse me, a little bit more about that in a moment, we want to give the numbers because there may be someone in our listening audience who is having suicidal thoughts. This the new national suicide hotline is simple as nine, eight, eight. Um, that just took place within the last two months. Um, but we also have the intimate partner violence hotline. Now this is for, uh, this is for warm and they are located in New York city, but they will be able to give you more resources. And this is a 24 seven line. So if you're experiencing a problem with domestic violence, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you can give a call to 917-736-1046. Okay. So we're going to go now to a call in from our gag member. J.W. Walker, are you on the line? I am indeed. <laughs> hi, hi, Sarah. Hi. Yeah. I'm a little nervous following... Uh, coming on after after Sunny, who's always so brilliant with everything that she says. <laughs> I've reused that clip twice, actually, that because the fact that the majority of the people that um, survive a suicide attempt had only been thinking about it for an hour uh, it really draws the line of where access to a gun is the reason that um, fatalities are so high. We want to talk to you about what you the myth that you're going to bust because today is national coming out day and Woo-hoo. later on i'm going to talk about how every town put out a um a report that highlights the impact of gun violence on the lgbtq plus community but the myth that we want to talk to you about is that women and the lgbtq plus community and minorities need a gun to protect themselves Yes, and that's a myth that I encounter um, a lot online in response to different posts um, that I make. Um, and, I, and also uh, I see that in response to um, lots of posts that are made by the Gays Against Guns Twitter. And, um, you know, it, going back to what to, um, to the earlier uh, segment with Sonny, you know, that fact that, um, that a gun in the home... Uh, is far more likely to be used uh, against someone in that home than it is to be used against some assailant. Um, that applies equally to members of the LGBTQ plus communities as it does to everyone else. And it applies equally to women uh, as it does <laughs> to everyone else. Um, the fact is that bringing an instrument of violence, an instrument of death, into your life, into your sphere, um, is is uh, going to increase the likelihood that um, that you or someone that you love is is going to fall victim to that instrument of violence. Um, and you know, it, with um, with LGBTQ um, folks, um, we also deal because of um, societal issues with the issue of of suicide at a higher rate, especially young LGBTQ people. And so having, um, having a gun in the home, um, you know, make that, that sort of pivotal decision. Um, and like you just said, um, you know, that, you know, people, uh, who, who commit 
who actually commit the act. You know, I've sometimes only thought about it for as little as an hour. The fact of having a gun in the home um, makes it that much easier uh, or that much, um, you know, that much easier to actually commit the act. And we know from statistics that um, suicide by gun is far more, for lack of a better term, successful. Many other attempts at suicide, you know, whatever they might be, can, you know, interventions can be made and the life can be saved. With a gun, they're far more fatal. Yeah, the second, the second uh, cause, the level cause is uh, poisoning, uh, which there is time um, after someone, you know, ingests something that uh, could overdose on or, you know, take their life or put them to sleep. There is a certain amount of time, but a gun on your table and that impulse with that access, uh, there, there's really no coming back from it. That's exactly it. I also, if you um, if you want, I want to go through some of these stats while you're on the line too. Uh, the, one of the reasons that I'm bringing this up too is because the community, the LGBT plus community, is violently attacked uh, more than most people. So trans homicides increased by 93 percent between uh, 2017 and 2021. So, and 73% of those uh, were killed with a gun. So that violence disproportionately affects black trans people. And what you're saying, when, when X Gonzalez was on here, um, they were making an adamant, you know, I do not tell people of color that they shouldn't carry a gun because I don't know what it's like to be them. And just the same thing I would say to a trans person, I can't tell you not to because of the danger that you're in, but I'm telling you I'm working to get the guns that are uh, threatening you off the streets. Uh, the other thing is that hate crimes are more deadly uh, when guns are involved. The, on an average year, more than 25,000 hate crimes in the United States involve a firearm. That's 69 a day. Also, members of the LGBTQ plus community are targets of hateful uh, violence just because of who they are. And those hate groups have increased 43% um, starting in uh, 2018. So that is enough fear for people to think they need to arm themselves to protect their lives because they are being targeted. There is hate motivated violence against them, but there's also suicide. And especially like you were saying, LGBT Q plus youth is, uh, are at higher risk of contemplating and attempting suicide. 45% of those uh, younger individuals have seriously considered a suicide attempt within a year uh, of asked that question. And then nearly one in five transgender and non-binary youth had attempted suicide. Yes. And it, it, it's a really, um, you know, it, it, it's a really frightening situation and, and it's a completely understandable impulse. That sort of, you know, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in fear for my life just based on my identity. I need to, therefore, I need to protect myself. Therefore, I, I need to go and buy a gun. It's, you know, there, there, there is a logic that you can, that, you know, that anyone can sort of understand that impulse. But the reality of the situation is that um, there are all of these countervailing factors that actually make it far less safe you, you if you if you're already feeling that you're under threat uh, you know from from a hate crime or from from violence from the from the community um bringing a gun into your life actually just increases 
um, that 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 possibility that you will be the victim of violence, it doesn't actually decrease it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we have to break. And some of that is so obvious because you got a gun. Great. Do you know how to shoot it? Are you practicing regularly? Do you know how to clean it? Where are you going to store it? Are, uh, how, how are you going to keep it safe from the other members of your household, particularly children or anyone else who's vulnerable to suicidal thoughts? I just wanted to also, also point out that, you know, a, a big part of the Iron Pipeline, people are always talking about the Iron Pipeline, you know, and, and we're always talking about the Iron Pipeline and how we're, we're trying to disrupt it and bust it and what have you. These guns that are, uh, you know, come from, from states with lax gun laws flowing into major cities like New York that until recently had stronger gun laws. Um, and um, a big part of the Iron Pipeline is, is the theft of guns is that guns are stolen from people's homes, from their cars, from, you know, for, from, from their persons, and are trafficked in, into other places. And so there's also a certain level of personal responsibility that, um, that people have to take into account when, you, when you're owning a gun. And far too few people put in place the proper safeguards to ensure that, you know, that if they, even if they are legally purchasing a gun, that they are, you know, that they are ensuring that it is not going to fall into the wrong hands, either from within their household or from someone from the outside stealing. Right. I have a little rant that I would like <laughs> to make here. And this is like... <laughs> I don't understand why we're asking a question like this, because I was born into a culture where women and children, older people, those who had more difficulties and minorities, they were valued and esteemed and protected. And we're fighting for rights for the disabled, civil rights for minority groups. People are not expected to have to carry a gun to protect themselves. This is not a value I was taught and brought up with. People were lifted up. And I was taught that your chain is only as strong as the weakest link. You know, I mean, boy. That and that today is National Coming Out Day, that it is important. And a lot of people have questioned, well, why did people have to come out? I didn't have to come out straight. I'm like, well, you're not being targeted. And coming out you will find a community and your allies uh, that will help you with your esteem and with your mental awareness of who you are and not live in fear. Um, but we're out to protect everyone. Uh, we're against all gun violence. But um, if anyone does feel like they are having um, any suicidal thought or need to talk to anyone, we also have uh, the Trevor Project where you can text start to six eight six seven eight six seven eight. That's text start to six seven eight six seven eight. Anything else um, that you have for us, Jay? No, except for except for uh, the thing that I really hope that folks um, keep in mind is that you know we talk about fear, and this is as we're coming into an election, um, we we see how fear is being mobilized, um, you know, in in campaign ads how. How people are using, you know, the increase in crime, the increase in, in in gun violence that we've seen, basically, truthfully, as a as a result of the stresses on our society from from the pandemic, but how that fear is being weaponized into trying to get people to make 
um, particular choices in in uh, in their election. Well, that same in that same way, the gun industry has been has been using fear to drum up sales. And so, you know, I always want to encourage people to to use their critical thinking minds and to see through. Um, to see through those tactics that the gun lobby and the firearms manufacturing industry constantly use to drum up sales of guns, because that's really all that they're doing. We're going to keep you on the line for just another second, because we have yet to bust the about the biggest myth of all, and I know you can do it. Um, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Help us out on that one, Jay. Yeah, well, we've 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 seen um, we've seen that be disproved time and time again. Um, you know, we know from from things that folks in law enforcement have said, you know, over the years that you know if you if there's a if there's a shooting in a public space and there are all of these private citizens that have guns that start shooting in response to a criminal shooting, all that does is confuse things for law enforcement. People don't know who the instigator was. They, everybody that's there that's holding a gun is possibly the perpetrator of the inciting incident. So that's one. And then on the other hand, even when you talk about law enforcement, um, you know, we all saw what happened in Uvalde. Um, we saw a, a large team of armed, um, of armed officers uh, in the hallways outside of that classroom, and because of the fact that the um, that the shooter was using um, a, a a semi-automatic assault rifle, even with their arms on them, they were uh, afraid or they were discouraged by their commanders or whatever comes out in the wash about that. They stood outside of that classroom while that gun person, while that gunman, continued to shoot more and more of those young children. Um, so, you know, that, that, uh, the real solution is no guns at all. Um, also to bring up since in New York yesterday, um, there's a gubernatorial race and, uh, there were gunshots fired outside of Zeldin's house, uh, which is his children were there. And the first thing he blamed were criminals for having the guns. Uh, and that's sort of is what we're debunking as well is the access to that gun they don't have to be a criminal until they use it. It's the access. So these that would that is the myth that we're debunking that a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. I will claim that all men are never good or bad at all times. <laughs> you have so that's the way that I bust that one. But thank yeah, you. That's a really it's a really good way, and it, it it's it's also important to recognize the fact that Lee Zeldin in his time in Congress, has been um, supported and funded by the NRA and has spent much of his time in Congress trying to block sensible gun control legislation. And for him to try to make hay out of the shooting in his neighborhood when 70% of all guns used in crimes come into New York through the Iron Pipeline, coming from out of state, and Lee Zeldin has been one of the, the lead figures in trying to stop uh, universal background checks, trying to stop assault weapons uh, bans, trying to stop all the sensible gun control legislation that that has been stymied uh, by essentially one political party in Congress, and it's the political party that he belongs to. 
I got to say, once you have a gun in your hand, uh, you know, a sense can go out the window. And speaking of Long Island, there was recently a road rage incident where two dads had their kids in the car. Uh, they got angry over uh, brake checking where someone pulls in front of someone else and hits the brakes. Yeah, not fun. Okay, so they got they had they had firearms in their cars, so they got them out and they actually injured both of their kids. Thank God the kids uh, were not killed. But give me a break. When if yeah. if you are a good guy with a gun, when do you become a bad guy with a gun? You know, I, and I I totally affirm what you gentlemen are sharing about this. So the only thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good gun law. That's exactly right. Um, well, thank you, Jay. We are going to wrap up. We have to um, bring up our. Yeah, we got some. Uh, we've got a little bit of fundraising to do because we really want your support. Uh, and um, thank you so much for calling us up and busting our myths. Jay thank Walker. you all for doing the, thank you all for doing this show. Happy coming out day and everybody support WBAI. Thank you, Thanks Jay again. Walker, a uh, founding member of Gays Against Guns. Okay. To find out more about working with us, please go to gaysagainstguns.net or follow us at Gays Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about actions. Sign up for info about meetings and actions at gagsignup at gmail.com. Gagsignup at gmail.com and come to a meeting. We meet the last Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. in Manhattan at the LGBT Center on 13th Street, where we will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events remember all are welcome and you can contact us at gag no guns on twitter gaze against guns new york on instagram and facebook and we're all going to be at sobs tomorrow night <laughs> at 207 varick street for the most fun fundraiser for wbai uh, you can find the information on the WBAI website, but there are going to be four fabulous uh, bands at SOBs. We're going to be dancing from 6 p.m. until oh, 2 a.m. Yeah, there's plenty of time. Yeah. So get your tickets and join us. You can see us live, and we're going to have some fun IRL, right? And another great way to get involved is by becoming a BAI buddy. We want you to do this. Be our buddy, please. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. Uh, this can be $5 a month. This could be $15 a month. This could be $100 a month if you can afford it. The station certainly needs it. The gun violence prevention movement needs it. And you can keep us on the air to bring you this show. And we are live this week and as often as we can be. So please go to WBAI.org. Go to give, numeral 2, WBAI.org. Or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. And thank you. Today, we have a great premium for you from Wendy Jones, 
Ida Bell Publishing. So we're going to listen to a clip from Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Good afternoon, listeners. I'm so excited. We have author Wendy Jones from Ida Bell Publishing here to tell us about the two books that we're going to offer you as a thank you gift when you become a WBAI buddy today. They're also available as a premium. Wendy, thank you for being with us. Tell us about the books. Well, the first one is An Extraordinary Life, Josephine E. Jones. And Josephine E. Jones was born in 1920, the year white women got the vote. Born in South Carolina, she came to New York City in 1946 to work as a cook in private homes. By 1967, she became probably the first black woman in management at a Fortune 500 company. In addition, in her Harlem neighborhood, she was the person who helped all the community members clean up a previously drug-saturated block. And finally, when her marriage broke up, she worked three jobs to send her daughter to the best schools that she could find that had the best education available. And that daughter was me. So this woman battled racism, sexism, and classism, and she did it with grace and style. And she made sure that she helped everybody she possibly could. And the second book, The Culinary Art Portfolio of Josephine E. Jones, focuses on her work. Now, she was the head of the Employees Cafeteria at Standard Brands. Remember Chase and Sanborn Coffee, Royal Gelatin, Flanders Peanuts? All right, she wasn't just an administrator, she was also an artist. So she made fruits and, and salads that were so beautiful, people did not want to eat them because they look like pictures. And you can have this very book. In fact, you can put the pictures on your wall and there's stories about each of the culinary art pieces. And it will inspire you to have artistic meals of your own and enjoy the, the kind of joy, the pleasure that you get from looking at art. So please call 212-209-2950 or go to give to the number two WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gab. Thank you very much for $15 a month. Thank you so much, Wendy Jones. Uh, we look forward to giving these beautiful books and this inspiration to people who call to become a, uh, a uh, BAI buddy. So thanks very much. And um, callers, now it's your turn. It is time to end our show. Don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime on the WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet. Sing out, Louise. Have a great and safe day. Well, I think it would be nice if we could break your lobby. Cause no, not every lobby knows how to lobby like you. No. And you never think twice. Before you take our dreams away, well, we say the NRA and all the cash you blew. Oh, yeah, you bought up Congress for 20 million and then the White House 30 million more. Well, you can spend your heart out a billion zillion. We don't care about your money, we are showing you the door. Because we gotta have faith. We gotta have faith. Oh yeah, we gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. We gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Ah, baby, 
We won't go back to yesterday. So please, 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 sashay away. You are giving us the blues. Mayday. We're gonna break the money chain. Then we won't have to feel the pain of another day loaded down with a lot of bad news. Just watch this river become an ocean. Listen, do you hear that mighty roar? Yeah, baby, we'll keep resisting your evil notions. We have had it up to here and we are showing not one more. Cause you gotta have faith. We gotta have faith. Oh yeah, we gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. We gotta have faith, the faith, the faith. Ah.